I don't know if you uh, realize this, if you've recognized this at all, but uh, as human beings, we are an odd sort. Can, can we start with that agreement this morning? I mean, I mean, look at the person next to you. They're odd, right? So it's just, we, we, we are an odd sort. Here, here's one of the oddities of our being. We are often amazed by silly things, right? So I, I'm going to uh, take a great risk and share some silly things with you that you'll probably, unfortunately, remember long, long after you'll remember anything else I say in the sermon. But it is to prove this point, right, that we love silly things. D- did you know that cockroaches are the fastest animal on six legs? It's a fact. Cockroaches are the fastest. They can go a meter a second. That's pretty quick. Some of you know that as you've tried to step on them or catch them. Uh, in your neighbor's house, certainly not in yours, right? Uh, Did did you know there are only two animals uh, in the animal kingdom who can see behind them without turning their head? Anybody know? The rabbit and the parrot. Only two animals that can see behind them without turning their heads. Now, there is ongoing research being done that says mothers also can see behind them without turning their head, but uh, that didn't show up in my evidence uh, here as well. Uh, Here's one that's going to take, it's going to twist some of your brains. Are you ready for this? The word almost, the word almost is the longest word in the English language in which the letters are in alphabetical order. That's That's going to twist some of your brains. I just know that, right? Right. Um, Some of you know this one, uh, and uh, you you know it to be true, that every continent in the world starts and ends with the same letter. So you you, you knew that one, right? That's one of those silly things that we do. And here's the last one, um, and that is this. Did you know it is impossible to lick your elbow? I know some of you, right? And you're like, I, I, like, I want to try that. Yeah, there you go. You can, you can, you can do it. Uh, and for those of you not vulnerable enough to try it now, uh, on your car, in your car on the way to the picnic, you're going to be like, ah, I'm just trying to do it. You cannot, it's impossible, to lick your up. So listen, we are often amazed by silly things. Uh, maybe what is more uh, harmful to us is how little we are amazed by amazing things. How little we are amazed by truly amazing things. How many of you remember the name Benjamin Ormond? Benjamin Ormond. A couple of you. Yeah, good, good, good. Uh, Rob, you want to tell us who Benjamin Ormond is? Sorry to put you on the spot. Uh, I think it's the guy Bingo. See, listen, I, I want to, th- this is my goal in the decades that I have with you. I want you to know about Jesus, and I want you to remember Benjamin Ormond. Benjamin Ormond was the first pastor of Covenant Church. Back in 1858, Uh, This man was a a young pastor in Clarksville, PA, and he was wandering the streets of Sharon, believing that God was going to plant and give birth to a church in Sharon. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he said, hey, man, we're going to do this. So in a yoked union of churches, he started Covenant, wasn't Covenant Church at that time, but he started essentially Covenant Church, and actually uh, landed at 263 East State Street in order to start that church in 1866. Yeah. Before you were born, Jeff. 
And so, so listen, in 1850, so, so I, I want you to be amazed by that, right? That there was a man walking the streets of Sharon, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God falls upon him in such a way that says, listen, I'm going to start a church here that's going to do supernatural things for this valley and for this city. That's amazing. We should be amazed by that. Uh, so we should be amazed of the thought of men in the 16th century who, who sacrificially stood up for a biblical church Right? Hundreds of whom sacrificially gave their lives in a reformation of the church from a deadening corruption. A number of weeks ago, as we started this series in the book of Acts, we talked about John Holyer, who we mentioned uh, in that time frame that, that he was one who was burned at the stake for the sake of his faith in Christ. We should be amazed by that. As we celebrate the 4th of July this week, the religious freedoms that many fought for and again gave their lives for. We should be amazed by that, but the, the remembrance of men and women, even in the 15th century, who would leave their land and families from a, a different world altogether to come to a new world whose freedoms might be a possibility of religious freedom. We should be amazed by that. Even to our text this morning, to the first century, where we find 120 people sitting in a room, staying in Jerusalem, because God said something's going to happen. I'm going to send my, here's a crazy term to them in that day, my Holy Spirit upon you. And, and you don't know what that's going to look like, but you'll know it when it's happening. And so obediently, 120 people stay in a room and wait upon God. We should be amazed at that. And here's the point this morning, maybe sermon in a statement. We cannot stop being amazed at the power of God to establish his church and to sustain it. And we, ladies and gentlemen of the church, we have often too quickly forgotten these amazing things, or we have stopped being amazed by them. So we turn to Acts chapter 2. This morning, verses 1 through 13. And I, I know preachers say when they preach a text, this is the most amazing text in the Bible, right? Um, which is all of the Bible, and so we're always right. But this is an amazing text in the Bible, right? Well, what we're about to enter into, if you've never heard this story, uh, this is an astounding, amazing, and, and we should be amazed, astounded as we read it. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. If you have your Bibles open, if not, it's on the screen. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Hear the very word of God. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You should be amazed by that. Now as they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them, these 120, speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, at least they were, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? 
And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and even visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. They must be drunk, right? Listen, we know you are good in remembering that Luke, who is a Gentile doctor who traveled with Paul, is writing this to Theophilus, an influential, powerful man, so that indeed the Gentile world would hear what has happened. But we need to understand that Luke has interviewed these guys, and here is his, here is his report of what the disciples said happened on this day. And he's doing it so that Theophilus, and therefore the Gentile world, and even to us today, we would seize the moment in which we live, that we would seize this day in order to know that what is happening here in Acts chapter 2 is not just some historical thing that happened. It is still happening. It is very much alive that we seize this day by the power of this Spirit for indeed God's glory. So three amazing things in this text. Amazing sovereignty, amazing signs, and amazing significance. Amazing sovereignty, amazing signs, and amazing significance. First, amazing sovereignty. Remember, I, we use this word a lot. It's a big church word. Uh, sovereignty, the sense that God is in complete control, that there is nothing outside of his purview, not anything outside uh, of his decree. And as we hear about the sovereignty of God, we should be in tune, or we should become in tune with the reality of the bigness of God, and we should be amazed. And it's in this text. Look at the very first six words of our text. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. A better understanding of the word arrived is fulfilled. When the day of Pentecost was fulfilled. Because in our church world, we often think of Pentecost as the 50th day after the resurrection in the beginning of the church, which it is. Some of you have been frustrated with me because we get to Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, and I don't make a big deal of it. I don't even wear red, and we don't even talk about it, right? Because the reality is, is that's what we've become accustomed to, that after Easter, we wait 50 days, and that seventh week after Easter, we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. Well, that is true, and that is good, but there is so much more of a rich expectation of this day. So, so first, catch the sovereignty of God in the short term. Remember last week, Jesus, before ascending, tells the disciples to do what? To scatter? No, he says, listen, remain in Jerusalem. That didn't make sense. Didn't make sense to stay in Jerusalem, but they did. And it says in this text, when the day of Pentecost came, they were still being obedient, and they were all together in one place. Why were they in one place? Well, Jesus told them to be in one place. And why would Jesus tell them to be in one place? So that they would all be gathered for what he knew, listen, what he knew would happen in the coming of the Spirit. You see God's sovereignty? I told you, sometimes uh, obeying God in the first chapter doesn't make sense, but I guarantee you in the second chapter it will. Here it is, right? It didn't make sense for the disciples to stay in Jerusalem. But as we come to chapter 2, 
<laughs> and the coming of the Holy Spirit, because God knew, Jesus knew that that would happen, they are all together in the room, and they all experience this together. But God's sovereignty in this text even goes deeper. So hang with me here, right? We're going we're gonna to jump a bit into the Old Testament. Pentecost literally means 50th. That's what it means. Pentecost, Pentecost, Pentecost means 50th. And it was a celebration that had been around, listen, since the days of Moses. So if you go back, don't need to this morning, it's not a bad study though, go back to Leviticus 23, you will see God initiating a number of feasts for the people of Israel. And he's initiating these feasts in order that they remember what the Lord has done. One of those feasts is Passover. He says, listen, I want you all as Israelites to observe Passover to remember what? The rescue that I had of you from Egypt. Right? When evil passed over. <laughs> we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper next week. And it's what we think about when we come even to that table, right? So he, he says, I want you to do Passover. And, and then in, in the midst of Leviticus 23, he says, uh, in 50 days after Passover, I want you to celebrate what's called the Feast of Weeks, which would later become known as Pentecost. Two significant things about this. This Pentecost commemorated the history of Israel and that it was 50 days after the miraculous exodus that Moses would have first received the law and the Ten Commandments. So they're miraculously taken across the Red Sea and delivered from Egypt. 50 days later, Moses is at Mount uh, Sinai and he's receiving the Ten Commandments. And, and so there's this celebration, this commemoration of what happened in that 50-day span. And then later it became a more practical celebration and then it was called the Feast of Weeks because it was the time in which they would bring in the first wheat harvest and they would celebrate how good and faithful God had been. Now, a great study here to dive into. We're, we're not going to get into that study, but let it suffice to say that over the years, I want you to get this, the people of God became accustomed to celebrating Passover and then 50 days later celebrating Pentecost. Over and over again. Passover, the rescue of God, of his people, and Pentecost, the provision of God to his people. Rescue, provision, rescue. Every year. Daddy, why do we have to do Passover? It's because we got rescued. Why do we have to do the Feast of Weeks? It's because God's provided. And from generation to generation to generation, the reality is, is there is God rescuing and God providing. Now, here's where I get excited. You ready for this? Here's God's sovereignty. From, from Leviticus 23, right? All the way through the Old Testament, right? All the way through the Old Testament until we get to Pentecost. Remember, God's people were really, oh, rescue, provision, rescue, provision, rescue, provision. God, though, here is saying, listen, it's not only about what I've done in the past, but you're going to see I was actually talking about the future. Because... On the day of Pentecost, it was fulfilled, the reality of what he was talking about in Numbers 23. He said, Passover is the death of Christ. Fulfilled. Pentecost is the provision of God's Spirit. Fulfilled. So God was not only saying, hey, look back and celebrate, but man, look forward and see what's coming. And here, it is fulfilled. Hmm. 
Maybe this is the point. Luke writes that Pentecost had arrived, was fulfilled. It was more than just a yearly thing. It was more than just a celebration. It was the fulfillment of years of prophecy of the provision of God to establish a church. And this was the very plan of God and his sovereignty. And listen, it should be a great encouragement to us. Because listen, if God has determined in advance the day of Passover and the death of Christ, and he's determined in advance the day of Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit and the birth of the church, what else has he determined before anything started? When he's coming again? Oh, don't wring your hands. Oh, is God going to forget about us? Is God? No, listen. It's done. It's in the book. It's finished. His day of his return is set. So we live for his glory in doing it. Not only that, and this might get you even a little bit more excited, more amazed that even in your life, the hard things, the good things, the troubling things, the rejoicing things, are all things that he has set into motion in your life. He is a sovereign God. Listen, if he's setting these feasts in place to celebrate Christ, do you think he's lost sight of you? That's good. That's good right here. Even in days of COVID, even in days of uncertainty, God in his sovereignty is amazing. Amazing. But we need not just simply be amazed at his sovereignty in this text. We need to be amazed at his signs. Look what happens in verses 2 through 4. Uh, first of all, there's verse 2. Here, here it is, 120 people sitting in a room, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So we're not told much about this, so we don't want to make much of it. But we are told that there was a distinctive sound. As Luke interviews the disciples, one of the things that they remember about this day is that they were sitting around waiting, and like, boom, <laughs> all of a sudden, the sound of a rushing wind. He would say, like, well, did you feel the wind? No, like, there wasn't a wind. It was just the sound of a rushing wind. And maybe Peter says, yeah, I, I like, like when we were on the boat on the Sea of Galilee and that storm blew up, that, that sound... Uh, or, or like our ancestors had told us, that when, when, when they crossed the Red Sea and the wind came and separated the sea, maybe, maybe it was like that sound, or when they crossed the Jordan and the Jordan was built up, that, the, the wind that brought the, that sound, that sound is what came. It, was, it wasn't a wind, there wasn't, our hair was just perfect, but the reality is that there was a sound of a rushing wind. And you know what? I, I don't know about you, but I think at that point the 120 went... Maybe this is it. The sound of a rushing wind, a distinctive sound that something supernatural is about to happen. Verse 3, And then divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Again, we're not told much, so I don't want to make much, but we are told that there is now a distinctive sight. Not only a distinctive sound, but there is a distinctive sight. There was something distinctive about them as they looked at one another that told them that something supernatural was happening. 
so I, I like to have fun with this, right? You just imagine the 120, boom, big rushing wind. I don't know what that sounded like, right? Like, boom, that happens. And then all of a sudden you're looking at your, you know, Matthew, something, something, something's on your head, right? And, and there's this tongue of fire. Hey, it's on you too. Hey, it's on you too. And all of a sudden, everybody, oh, this tongue of fire starts showing up on their head. It's like, you got one, I got one. What what is it saying? Well, listen, the reality of fire is the presence of God. And remember in the Exodus, I think they would have, in the reality that that the the presence of fire was going to lead them. And it says, listen, uh, this presence of fire is calling you out as mine. And I'm going to lead you. 120 of them, pretty soon they're all looking at each other and going, we all got fire on our heads. I think we're called out to do something here. Like, we're marked by a holy God. Fire. Then verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And us Presbyterians want to go, oh boy, move fast through that one, will you? No, actually we're going to slow down. Right? So, so listen, we're, we're, I don't know if Luke recognized that there were going to be a lot of people after this that get their undies in a bunch over this whole tongues thing, or whether it was just this amazing, but he now takes six verses to describe what this was. So uh, I want us to take a peek. With the celebration of Passover and Pentecost, there would have been thousands, literally probably millions of people from, get this, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, all in Jerusalem for the Passover. That should ring a bell for you, right? All in Jerusalem. And Luke gives us an account of these here, systematically, names, nations completely surround Judea, of which Jerusalem is the capital. And naturally, these folks from different nations would have had what? Different languages and dialects as they gathered. But what has them amazed, it says in the scripture, amazed and astonished, is that a group of commoners, Galileans, that didn't even speak plain to begin with, right? Uneducated guys, who had no way of knowing the languages of the world, were speaking fluently in their language. And what were they speaking of? It says at the end of this text, about the mighty wonders of God. That's all they were talking about. The mighty wonders of God. Now, here's what I think the point is. This day, these signs are... Amazing. And in these verses, we are told that the people are, number one, bewildered. That, and secondly, they're amazed and astonished. They're amazed and perplexed. I mean, try to be average Joe from Egypt who came into town for the Passover, who has stayed now 50 days for the Pentecost Feast of Weeks celebration. You're just average Joe, probably not Joes in Egypt, but average Joe from Egypt, right? Sitting around going, eh, yeah, this is good, Feast of Weeks, woohoo, let's go. And all of a sudden, down the street, <laughs> Right? Sorry about that. Uh, sound of a rushing wind. Hmm, wonder what that was. We should probably go check it out. They go check it out, and out of this house comes 120 people with flames on their heads. You, you think they're onto something? Like, something's going on here. 
Hey, Harry, come on over here. You got to see this, right? It's like a fight at school. Everybody now starts to gather, right? And we're all gathered around. And then get this. Mr. Joe from Egypt is approached by some, I don't know, I like to make up crazy stuff, some little kid who's among the 120, just a little Galilean Jewish guy. And he comes up and he starts speaking in fluent Egyptian about the mighty wonders of God. Joe's going, dang, something's going on. I, I don't know. I think it's safe to say that Joe was amazed. That's hard in our context, so let me bring it to our context. I have a good friend who tells again and again um, a number of stories, but this is one of them. Uh, he was a pastor of a church that is a bit more Pentecostal than we, and so indeed at the end of service there was this invitation that if anybody wanted prayer that they could come. So this is back probably in the mid-90s, right? And so this man comes forward for prayer, something very common in the life of the church. Also what is common is that there were a number of people from the church that gathered around him, laid hands on him, began to pray for him. It was also common in the monks of this church that if someone would pray for them, someone would begin to speak in tongues. So there's someone speaking in tongues over this guy as he's come for prayer, and he hasn't even mentioned what he needs prayer for. They're just praying. All of a sudden, this guy starts speaking in tongues. The time ends, and the visitor, whom no one knows, is weeping. And he looks at the man who is speaking in tongues, and he says, do you know Russian? He goes, no, I don't know Russian. He says, well, you just spoke in fluent Russian to the very need that I had and why I came for prayer. Now listen, if that doesn't like send something up your spine, take two fingers, put them on your finger here or here, right? And see if indeed there's a pulse, right? Holy cow. Now take that, multiply it by 120 times of all these people with flames on their heads after the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And we might, good Presbyterians, begin to understand what it meant, what it should mean to be amazed at the power of God. Amazing sovereignty, amazing signs. But listen, it might all just be a story if we don't see the amazing significance that it has for us, real quickly. And I'd like to speak culturally first because I think we want to be a relevant church. I feel like our nation, the United States of America right now, is speaking a lot of different languages. And we do so without trying to hear one another. We all speak English, but our, language, our English has a different nuance. Like, uh, get myself in trouble here. Some speak Democrat, some speak Republican. Some speak white, and some speak black. Some speak COVID apocalypse, and some speak COVID scam. Some speak Presbyterian, and some speak Methodist. We all speak the same language, but we're not listening to anybody that speaks a different language. And we are in need, I think you might agree, of a Holy Spirit movement that calls us to only speak of the mighty works of God in whatever language we speak. Listen, there's some excellent work done in thinking about Pentecost as a reversal of the Tower of Babel. Do you remember that story in Genesis chapter 11? 
So all God's people speak one language, but they're all speaking one language to their detriment. In fact, they're speaking one language with this great idea that they can become God. So they start to build this tower, right? And God goes, oh, you silly people, you. And so what he does in order to confuse them is creates many languages and everything stops and people go from all over different places. Some people say that at Pentecost, what God is doing is he's reversing what happened in Genesis 11 in the Babel. That as many came from one, he's actually bringing one from many to speak of the mighty works of God. That from one to many in the story of Babel comes the many to one at Pentecost, and it happens by the power of the Spirit. So listen, I don't have all the answers to political, racial, COVID, and denominational divides other than that I have to believe that God hasn't given up on making us one through the Holy Spirit and given us one message, the mighty works of God. And that it's the church's job, because here's where he's established the church. It is the church's job to stop and listen, to surrender to the power of that same spirit, to begin to make ourselves known as the called out to be sent in. That we are those who have been given flames upon our heads to proclaim the mighty works of God in all kinds of cultural languages. But even as this is not at the core of this text, I mean, it would be amazing to see the church of Christ arise to bring peace and unity to this nation and the world. But I have something more amazing, yes, more amazing, to point out to you this morning, and that is your Pentecost. While this text is clearly about the church, I want to look into the church to see the people. Remember that? This is the church, this is the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. It's your Pentecost. Here's what I believe about what the Bible says to us about our journey with Jesus. That God has sovereignly determined whom he is going to love and that he loves you. And that he has even predetermined the day that he would reveal that to you even as he did to the 120 at Pentecost. Like before the foundations of the earth, he said, this is going to happen now. And he did this by what? Sending his spirit. And though you may not have heard the sound of a rushing wind, the impact of that spirit on you has caused you to be convicted of your sin and at the same time see Jesus as your rescue from sin. He has called you out. (laughs) He has marked you as one of his own. And though you may not see that tongue of fire when you looked in the mirror this morning, Your life has been marked by the power of God. And not only has he rescued you, but he has provided for you purpose for his kingdom. And then guess what? He has given you a voice to declare the mighty works of God. And you have a voice that someone connected to you is going to be astounded by. He has empowered you to be amazing. He has called you out to be sent in. And then guess what? As God has done this in you, he does it for all of us as his collective church, which we as Covenant Church are a part of the church. This didn't start with Benjamin Orman, as much as I want you to know him. This started by the Spirit of God that fell upon Benjamin Orman that sent him to the streets of Sharon and said, maybe I think we should plant a church. And then out of that, 
Over the next 162-year history, there has been vision and purpose and ministry year after year, decade after decade, century after century for the reality of his glory. Because you were here? <laughs> no, because the Spirit of God is here. And in you. Listen, the Spirit of God has never left the building. Elvis may have. The Spirit of God has never left the building. Why? Because you have always been here. And God has called you out to be sent in, to be a voice that someone is going to be astounded by, amazed by. I have a um, favorite thing to do at home, and that is to ride my John Deere tractor. Right? So when we bought a house... I needed a big yard so that I would have some time to sit on my John Deere tractor, right? I love my John Deere tractor. I love to mow my grass. What would you think of me if one day you came over and you caught me with scissors out in my front yard, snipping the grass, knowing now that I have a John Deere in my shed? Stoffer, you've lost your mind. You are absolutely nuts. You're cutting your grass with scissors. You have this beautiful... I said, listen, I don't want it to get dirty. I, 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 it looks nice in the shed. Don't want to use all that gas when I can clip... You would say, you are nuts. Get on your John Deere. Church, the last thing I want for us is to be found in the kingdom of God trying to bring a harvest in with scissors when he's given us a John Deere. Listen, better than a John Deere. It might even be zero turn, right? <laughs> he's given us power, not of ourselves, but of his spirit. And sometimes we lock it in the shed and we'll say, oh, I'll just get my scissors out. This is the harvest that I'll get. No, 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 listen, church of God, no more. No more. That Pentecost of Acts 2 is our Pentecost. That spirit is our spirit. That calling out is our calling out. And that voice that we've been given to astound the world is our voice. God has a harvest to bring, and he's chosen us to do it as his church, as covenant church. But because we are less than amazed, we've often been left with scissors in our hand rather than in the seat of our John Deere. Church, may we not be caught being more amazed by a speedy cockroach or trying to lick our elbow than we are amazed at the Spirit of God. God is still amazing in His sovereignty. God is still using amazing signs in you to display his mighty works to the world. God is still operating out of a church of amazing significance to bring in his harvest. And it's you. Would we be so bold today to enter into our own Pentecost? To pray that God would breathe on us the breath of God. To fill us with life anew. That we might love that which he loves and that we might do what he calls us to do, to show the world how amazing he is. Another verse of that great hymn, which we're about to sing, says, breathe on me, breath of God, 
till I am wholly thine, until the earthly part of me glows with that fire divine. Covenant Church, let's be a Pentecostal church. Some of you are scared. I don't mean that by hooping and hollering, and running, and whatever, although if you'd like to do that, I'm way good with that, right? Hooping and hollering is good by me, right? That, that's not the, that, that's a Pentecostal church. That's, that's not the Pentecostal. The Pentecostal church is that which remembers that which the Spirit of God has done and is amazed by it, called out to be sent in in the power of it for his glory, that the world would be amazed by our God because of the mighty works he has done. Let's pray together. God, confession, we are easily amazed by things less than amazing. And we are way too often not amazed by the things that should take our breath away. Would you breathe on us today your breath that we would be amazed that you have called us out to be sent to a world that needs to be astounded by your mighty works. Would you do that in me? Would you do that in us? Would you do that in Covenant Church? Would you do that in your church for your glory? God, that indeed we would see and know and experience the reality of your mighty works. Ah, that we would be amazed and be amazing to a world who desperately needs good news. May that be so, we pray.